Welcome back to the Gymnazo podcast. I'm your host, CJ Kubliska, the director of programming here at Gymnazo, and I have two amazing multidimensional movement coaches, movement specialists that are on our senior coaching staff, Coach Jonathan and Coach Kalina with us. And uh, we're going to be discussing kind of the deep dive into what is strength, what is movement, what does science look like in real time. And so I'm going to start us off with just a question uh, posed to you guys, and I'll answer as well. How do you define athleticism? What does it look like? That's a very good question. Um, recently, I've been thinking of it of or thinking of it as an ability to navigate tension through the system. So athleticism is ability to know where tension's at in your body. Where are you holding tension? Where are you intentionally or unintentionally holding that tension? And can you navigate it to a spot where you're able to react or respond or perform in a certain way that provides the outcome that you're wanting? So more so kind of navigating the tension through your body or through the system. For me, athleticism, I just go right back to sports. When we talk about people who are super athletic, they can play not just one sport, but multiple sports really, really well. And that sports can look different. Like being a great basketball player looks very different than being a good baseball player or being a good surfer or being a good snowboarder. So for somebody, we talk about being a good athlete, it's being able to be multifaceted in your movement practice and being multifaceted in your like talent ability. How well do you perform in each of those areas and how easy is it for you to transition through each of those? Well said. I'd say it's a lot to do with skill acquisition. Um, so not just being able to do what you do very well, but being able to do something you don't do very well practice it and do it very well, and then be able to continue to use that new skill or that new technique and integrate it into your own style. So if you're, a, I mean, I'm going to go from a wrestling background on my end, you can learn all the basic techniques and be really, really good at those. And then you wrestle somebody who's been wrestling for years, who knows all the basic techniques and then has chained them together in such a way that turns into much of a flow where they're three or four moves in and you're still on the second move and they already know what they're going to do with you next. I think it's a lot about the integration of your intention, like Jonathan had said, and then being able to navigate you know, different forces, mass momentum, gravity, ground reaction force, and then you've got an opponent on you as well who's got their own intentions and being able to, to dance and express yourself uh, through those motions. Welcome to the Gymnazo Podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnazo has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches. This podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business to how to program for maximum results to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. What kind of athletic background do you have, Kalina? I grew up playing soccer, played Division One collegiately. Uh, that was my main sport, but I also grew up surfing, 
and snowboarding and golfing. Those are still kind of my main my main sports. Um, and yeah, yeah, and then lifting, strength conditioning. Would you say that each one of those sports was individual? You, like you trained individually for each one of those sports, or did you train, let's say, in a gym or uh, in a in a, some kind of facility that made you better at all sports, or did one sport feed another? Where does your mind go with that? Uh, as a teenager, no, I trained for soccer. That was that <laughs> was, that was my sport. All of the others were kind of just hobbies. Um, we're super active, like kids, like you know, scooters, skateboards, running around outside, like jumping in the pool, like anything we could do active, we did active at the beach all the time. So. It's kind of this natural flow into some of the other sports that I did or the, the activities, I'll call them activities, I did like <laughs> activities. Um, only really in the last four or five years did I really start going, oh wait, I'm gonna train in the gym to do things that I wanna do outside the gym um, and taking kind of those transitions, like how do I get better at swinging golf club and then programming for that in the gym, um, which was like, you don't need to do bench press to be better at swinging a golf club. Um, you never see me play golf. <laughs> <laughs> All muscle, no finesse. Um, or even like, you know, surfing. Like I, I took forever off of surfing, like big, big bouts of not surfing in between. Then you go back to it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so rusty. So I definitely remember before going back to surfing, I, I went like one day I was like, oh my gosh, that was atrocious. That was like so hard on my body. It was like, okay, I can do things to get better at this when I'm not in the water. And even um, doing like transfers playing burpees. So instead of just doing pop down, pop up, you pop up like you're getting on a surfboard and just training that a couple times a week, it literally made getting up on a surfboard like infinitely easier. Like, oh yeah, we know how to do this. Um, so yeah, only really in the last probably couple of years did I really start training intentionally for doing those things. Um, even trail running, trail running is different than playing a sport, than playing soccer and just straight running for five, six miles is different than soccer. So it was just having to incorporate transition zones and different variables into my in-facility work. What do you think it was that transitioned that mindset from just going and playing those sports to going, oh, I can train outside of the sport, come back to the sport or the activity that I was training for, and now I'm going to do it better. What, was it a coach? Was it yourself, just a thought? Was it? Yeah, well, it was just being here and like our methodology, you know, what, do, what are we training people for? What does rotational training, what does lateral tra training do for us? And it prepares you for all of the weird stuff that we do outside of the gym, because, you know, I'm not gonna hang snatch some freaking plates to go put them away and, <laughs> in the cabinet, you know, I'm going to just squat down and bend over and pick them up. But you don't think about your form necessarily. And when you're playing your sports, when you're doing all that, you don't think about super proper rigid form. But all of traditional strength says like brace here, you know, load here. This, these are the degrees you want to get into, but you can't account for that when you're trail running and you slip off a rock or you have to go down some sort of weird angle or weird hill. So it's like, well, if I train my body to do the weird angles in the gym in a controlled environment where I can like do them safely, then I shouldn't have any issues transitioning. And yeah, it, it, it worked a hundred percent to go, oh, my body knows already how to do this. I coached youth soccer for a long, long time, 10 years. And the theory was if they can't do the movement without the ball, they can't do it with the ball. 
And that was proven over and over again in our, in our practice and our training. Like if you're going, why can't they kick with their left foot? and they can't step forward and back with their left foot like open, like they're passing it. You're like, oh, well, no wonder you can't kick the ball. You can't even create that motion with your leg. So if you just train that and like proprioceptively turn it on, what athletes refer to as muscle memory, and you train that muscle memory, you train that proprioceptive awareness, then all of a sudden they could freaking kick the ball with their left foot. So why would that not translate over to functional strength and conditioning training? And it, for me, totally worked 100% in Literally, trail running and surfing and golfing and snowboarding absolutely translates over. You said something. Um, that's, I love hearing this word too because I was told, "No, you're you're absolutely dead wrong." You know, muscle memory. <laughs> um, yeah, my muscles have brains, right? Um, and that, but you actually, you also said proprioceptive awareness, and that's that's something that we integrate into our training every single day. We don't necessarily talk about all the proprioceptors and what they specifically do and where they're located in different joints and tissues and what they're doing in your body because that in and of itself is a whole other study, proprioception mm-hmm. study. Um, but what we do see is that the more we have our athletes going through similar patterns or angulations and um, different momentums that they might see in real life is that now they're able to do those things better in real life because they're being exposed to them in a in a safe environment, a protected environment where they don't have to react as much. It's not dangerous necessarily, but it is going to put some stress on their body that they're going to be exposed to in in real life. And uh, there's a saying that we have here at Gymnasio that's um, what wires together or what fires together wires together. And so as we're getting a foot to move with a hip, to move with a hand, and it kind of brings these complex patterns into fruition, is that they're getting exposure and getting reps in very complex patterns that you could study individually and look at each actual pattern and what it's doing at every single muscle and every single joint and every single system in our body. Or you can just provide the experience for the athlete to go through this and let their body self-organize it, right? Where studies try to break down all the little bits and pieces and take it away from its most natural um, model or description and try to break it down into these little pieces that then try to define what's actually going on. But in all reality, there's a lot more going on than we can actually see. Um, so that was just as powerful, you know, what, what fires together, wires together, and that is muscle memory, that is proprioceptive awareness. It's just an exposure to a stressor or to an environment that we'll be seeing in real life, but we've already practiced it, so when we get into it, it becomes more fun, less stressful. We don't brace, we don't fight, we don't get scared. We just explore and express ourselves. Goose, I want to come back to you. Um, what's your athletic background? Um, so growing up, played a lot of baseball, a lot of basketball, and a lot of football, and then a little bit of water polo in high school. But for the most part, it was those three sports of football, basketball, and baseball most of my life. Which one do you stick with most? Basketball. <laughs> yeah. Myth, I, ah. Miss football probably the most, but stick with basketball the most still. What did you enjoy about it? Everything, man. Just being in that gym, like high school times. Like you just the think shoes. that the, sh- the shoes, the socks, the flair, the swag. <laughs> the swag. <laughs> uh, no, just being with the team. Like the team was always like super, super close knit. I feel like of all those teams, probably basketball and baseball were the most like close knit buddies that I had in high school. So always hanging out with those guys, get a chance to just go out there and perform like similar to what probably soccer was for Kalina, what wrestling probably was for you. Like that was my basketball. You just get out there and get a chance to like prove that all the hard work you've been putting in was going to pay off. Like all those practices, all those long hours, 
all that extra effort, staying in the gym, you know, way after practice, those kind of things. Then finally, like you get the time to show, I put in this work, what do I got? So a little test for yourself. Looking back now and all the practicing and the training that you did to make you better at those sports and the community that you had and the, the testosterone that was building in that locker room and the swag. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, what is what is something you you wish you would have brought into that experience or had in that experience that would have made you better or stronger or just more aware of what you were doing? I wish I'd had an approach to movement more so like I do now, and that's easy to say now having like the knowledge that we have. But thinking back, there wasn't a whole lot of training outside of practice that was geared towards performing better in that sport. Like maybe sometimes you're in the gym, but you're doing like the fundamental stuff of bench press deadlift, like a power clean, squats, but there is no real like variability to the training to where you could see it translate in real time. Like this is what this is going to feel like when I'm in this position in this sport, like we were just saying. The other phrase that I thought of was like, you want the thing to look like the thing. Like you want the move to look like the move you're going to be like training for. Like if I'm doing some funky move in a weird position that I'm never really going to truly like find myself in, there's going to be a time and a place for it but I'd rather have the variability of the in-sport moves that you're gonna find yourself in. So I wish I had a better awareness of global, like my own global movement in all 360 degrees versus just going so linearly. There was never really like any of the in-between gaps focused on, it was very linear. It's very well said, bro. All I wanted was my name up on the weightlifting wall that I hit that, that PR, hit that, hit the 200 club right, just throwing, bench press. Throwing weights. 200 club, 200 club on the cleans. Dude. Oh, man, you know? That too. I mean, that's definitely part of it, and there's a lot of fun in that, but it just didn't translate. Did you have any of that clean up? Did you guys have, like, a, you had to hit certain weightlifting um, milestones as a team? We did not as a team, but we def- there was definitely, like, the competitive edge of lifting, especially in college. You know, and I'm 5'5", five five, I'm not super big, but I always wanted to hit the big girl numbers, and I was successful most of the time. Um, but even back then, I was really frustrated with our lifting program, and it didn't make sense to me, and I didn't know why, but the women's soccer program had the same exact lifting program as the football team in college. Hmm. I was like, I don't need to look like a lineman. And you know, even now we would go, well, why does the lineman have the same workout program as the wide receiver? Because those are two very different, you know, those require very different bouts of athleticism. Like we used to joke in, I was telling Goose this morning, like winter, that was your, like your bulking season. It was like, say goodbye to your jeans, ladies. <laughs> those suckers aren't gonna fit because you're gonna bulk up. You are just gonna go balls to the walls. Like I was back squatting, you know, 225, deadlifting, 225 plus, like it was just all about how much you could muscle you could put on and weight. And then looking back retrospectively, I got hurt every spring. So the one thing that like, yes, there is a, a I think there's a point to, to strength and conditioning in those traditional aspects. I still love back squats. I still love deadlifts. Like there's nothing wrong with those, but I didn't get hurt on the soccer field. I got hurt on the soccer field, right? I didn't get hurt on the soccer field doing a deadlift or a squat. I got hurt because my foot slipped in the mud and my knee just went and just broke. (laughs) And, or I went to slide and my ankle rolled, you know, I I didn't get hurt doing all those things. So it was really frustrating because I could be in the best 
physical shape strength-wise, but that didn't help me be an agile, mobile soccer player. So it was, um, it, yeah, it, it was kind of frustrating because at the end of the day, all I wanted to do was be really good at soccer. And I didn't need to be really good at lifting, but that was what we were encouraged and what we were told would be best for us was to bulk up, put weight on, to be as strong as you can possibly be, but it wasn't strong in the areas that we needed to be. I even want to piggyback off that. I want to change my answer if I can, <laughs> if I, if I'm being, if was I may. Was there an answer that needed to be changed? I, I need to, I need to change this a little bit, guys. <laughs> I wish that I would have known more about restorative work in high school. Like, at all, any of it. We didn't do foam rolling, like no stretching really after the game. Like post-water polo matches, like, hey, go swim a 50 real quick. That's your cool down. All right, pop out of the pool. You're good. Post-football game, take the pads off, walk to the locker room, meet somebody. All right, we're out of here. No cool downs ever. And like, you got away with it because I guess you're just like your young tissue, it's resilient, can bounce back. But had you had the foam rolling, the stretching, the recovery stuff, I could only imagine how much better I'd probably feel right now, just having that at an earlier age. I had a traumatic experience telling myself that it was just growing pains. Oh, geez. But you weren't growing. That was no. I still. You said you're. You weren't that big at five five. I'm big at five four. <laughs> this man big. <laughs> but you should have seen me like in high school. Like we, we, the strength training worked. The progressions worked. I gained muscle. You gained muscle. I'm yeah. sure you gained muscle. At some point, you probably were bigger than you were now, right? Significantly, yeah. In terms of like muscle muscle uh, density, right? Mm-hmm. Size. Um, but when it came to the sport specifically, that strength mattered. You're you're big. You could fend for yourself. You could you had the endurance. You had the strength to handle what the sport needed. Except when it comes down to those dynamic OSTs, as we call them, the oh shit transformational zones. Those moments when you land, when you're getting a rebound. When you plant and there's a divot in the field, when you find yourself in a funky position and you're like, oh, God, that did not feel good. We don't necessarily need to train those movements, but train into those positions and realize we need to have that muscle memory. We need to have that awareness proprioceptively that our body subconsciously can handle the, the, the force going one direction, a mass going one way. And your body going one way and another at the same time, and instead of tearing itself apart, it is able to be, be more resilient and come back to that homeostatic space, that homeostatic balance because of your exposure in the training. I like to explain this way to people too, is your body only does what you train it to do, or your body's only good at doing what you train it to do. And if you only train it to be rigid, to constantly hold tension, to only lift with a neutral spine and you only train in the sagittal plane, you're going to be really freaking good at that. But when you go to bend over to pick up a five pound box and you're not thinking about your form, like I think this is the common misconception. It's like, oh, well, I just bent over. I didn't have good form. It's like, well, you don't bend over ever like that. So your body just didn't know what it was doing. And if you're constantly holding tension and then you go to relax those tissues and they don't have that ability to relax, it's going to get pissed and you're going to throw your back out, you're going to tweak something in your knee. And like we said, like we don't get hurt doing traditional things. We get hurt doing in those oh shit transformational zones. So it's like you have to, your body's going to go through it at some point. Why not train it that way? As an athlete, I know there's all, like everybody has that moment. You're like, I have no idea how the fuck I just did that. Like, don't know how I got that ball. Don't know how 
Don't know how you did that, but you ju- your body just did it. And those are the areas where, like, you say, hey, sometimes you do it, sometimes you get hurt. And it's just like your body's either prepared for it or it's not, but more likely you're going to get hurt when it's not prepared to do those things that you're asking it to do. Like, I work with a lot of moms and who get freaked out in the gym when you tell them, hey, I want you to, like, bend over with this weight and reach to the outside of your knees. So you're having to, like, rotate and reach down. Like, oh, my gosh, why would I ever do that? I go... Well, if you're, I've never seen a mom, like toddlers come up and they wrap themselves around your legs, right? They're like scared, go grab onto mom. I've never seen a mom like shake their kid off, be like, get off. And then like come to the front and then like do this proper squat. You just bend down and scoop that sucker up, right? Or like if your kid goes to trip and you want to like catch him, you just bend over and do what you have to do to do that. And we don't think about that, but like you pick up your kid, it's 25, 35 pounds right there. And you're rotating and you're flexing in all these weird positions to pick your kids up. But then as soon as you come into a gym setting, it's like, nope, can't do that. It's like, you do that every single day. The best best statement I hear in a gym, and I mean this so sarcastically, is you're doing that wrong. <laughs> How do you know I'm doing that wrong? I'm meaning, I'm meaning to do it this way, you know? You can come back with that and be like, oh, wait, no, I was doing something I didn't mean to do. But I think that's a, that's a relevant question to ask somebody is, like, what are you intending to do? Um, and... I'm asking this question to you guys and also to our listeners. How would you approach somebody coming in who wants to train physically and they have no goals necessarily except they want to look good, they want to feel good, and they want to get stronger? Like they want to physically feel stronger and look stronger. Where do you start with somebody like that? Well, I feel like if they're just going for for general kind of just feel good, look good, be able to move well, things like that. You're going for like a very global approach. Like I'm sneaking in things. If you're asking like actual exercises, like I want like things like lunges in any given direction. I want to see how they can tolerate that. I want to see how their balance is. Can they reach? Like where's their initial medium and end range of motion? Can they get through all three comfortably? Where does pain light up? What feels great? Like where's their success at? Finding that line of success, I guess, would be the first thing. Like you find that threshold of success play with that line, where's too much, where's not enough, and then kind of hover around that area and then build from there. But I would try to hit, I mean, any different like environment. I want people prone, supine, seated, standing, kneeling, lunging, squatting, reaching, pushing, pulling. Just hit them from all angles and just see what they got. And as soon as something lights up where it's like, ooh, well, what'd you notice? Oh, it felt really good. Awesome. Oh, I didn't like that one. Okay, let's go back. Let's revisit that and find out where that's going on. Because even if they come in feeling good, maybe we explore their potential enough to where something pops up. Like, oh, I never really found myself in this position. Actually, that does feel a little bit funky. All right, well, let's, let's address that. Get that dialed in first and then build from there. So your approach sounds like starting with movement first. Oh, yeah. And understanding, getting a picture of how this person's, this person's body can move through space and handle simple actions that every human can do. Right. Right. We've got... We've got our observational essentials and we've got our actions as, as multidimensional movement coaches that is a great starting point to get an overall image of somebody without having to ask them their whole life story. Though it is important to know somebody's history, it's important to know how, how are they right here, right now, today, in front of me. So movement. How about you, Kalina? I think similar to Goose. I mean, if they have no goals other than, like, I want to look good. Like, what do you do? I sit at a desk all day, and then I just, I want to go out to the bars and look good at night. Solid. We're ready to do these curls. (laughs) But, you know, 
throw in some functional movement. Like everybody wants to look good. Like nobody's walked in the gym and is like, I want to look like crap. I want like, like I always say like when we do squats and lunges, but like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, you know, like everybody wants a good ass. Nobody's walked in here and like, I want a flat ass, please. Like my jeans would just <laughs> slide right down. Like, so building, you know, we have all these good foundationals, like helping build hypertrophy. How do you do that? But it could be other than just a, a straight bicep curl, you know, we know how to manipulate the tissue to get it to work in ways that it hasn't before. Tissue's 3D. If you just train it in one plane, you're missing out on another 66% of potential and muscle potential, muscle growth there. So for, it's not just finding how much weight somebody can do, but then where do they where do they maybe need a little extra help? Like people think lunges, they always think a, a sagittal plane lunge, anterior lunge, but oh, blow your mind. Throw in a lateral lunge there, throw in a rotational lunge. All of a sudden they're like, I'm so sore. My muscles are so sore. Well, body sore. weight, right? Yeah, body weight. You don't even have to do any weight. But muscle soreness is muscle growth. Like when we, even with hypertrophy or just doing body weight, that soreness that we feel afterwards is like a minor muscle tear. It's your muscle having to regrow and rebuild. So you can do body weight in just different planes of motions, exercises that you don't typically do, and you're going to feel crazy different. Like, like push-ups. You know, you can take a traditional move. How do you tweak a push-up to bring in different muscle? Well, they sell them as those little, the little wrist attachments that you, you know, you sit on and you can like turn them this way, turn them that way. Like you just turn your hands. You know, you don't have to buy these fancy like the pegboard looking ones. Yeah, the pegboards. Like you don't need that. You could just literally like turn your hands out or turn your hands in and like have one in front of each other. You can put a hand up on a box. You know, change your elevations, and all of a sudden people are like, wait, what? You know, it's it's. Finding where they're good, finding where they could move better, and finding what challenges them. Like, you could be really good at a normal strict push-up. Um, oh, man, have you seen this one? All the yogis, super good at, like, a narrow chaturanga push-up with the elbows tucked in. Hey, take those hands take those hands a little wide. And they can't do it. They're like, because hmm. oh, those muscles, those, those pecs, the chest, they don't have either A, the mobility, or B, the stability, because they're like, we never do push-ups like this. And then they're... You know, they could do 100 chaturangas. They don't feel anything. They do 20 wide grip push-ups, and they're dying. They're like, I'm so sore the next day. Like you just, even subtle tweaks like that make a big difference for somebody who's just coming in for looks, tweaking, tweaking how we work their muscles. Yeah, a lot of, I, I'm glad you brought that up, because a lot of times we get people coming in and you just have way too much variety in your training. Like, what are you guys even working on? But like you said, there's push-ups, and then there's push-ups. And then there's other push-ups, and there's other push-ups, and there's other push-ups, and they're all push-ups that are all looking at strengthening your triceps and strengthening your pecs and getting your deltoids firing and building a relationship with the ground that is not a right or a wrong way. It's simply, how are you pushing up? And I want to make this clear is that when you, when you switch up your hand position, you're not just adding variety. You're switching up your, how your body's interacting with the forces around it, right? You go from a narrow push-up taking your pecs out of the mix and putting a little more into your triceps. And then you widen your hands, and now the pecs all of a sudden are being asked to go into more length, and now it's extremely difficult. It's that proprioceptive awareness. Your body knows it can go wide, right? But you've also built that, you've hypertrophied that tissue that hasn't experienced that level of loading. Yeah. That's not any more weight. It's simply the leverage of your body. How are you interacting with that actual push-up? Because now you've got to, you know, you can do a narrow push-up, but you can't do a wide push-up. Some people are the exact opposite, but it's the exposure of those other positions to get your muscles to load up, not just in one movement pattern, but now to understand a, an intention, which is a push-up. 
what are the things we do like that that you think others might look at and just go like, oh, they're just adding variety or trying to get too too crazy with it and just become a circus act? Well, it's like changing drivers around. Like you go, like I was saying with like lunges and stuff, you could do a lunge where you're reaching your weight like down towards that lunging foot and maybe you're trying to like activate more of the hip, get more like rotation through the pelvis or you're going to add a big reach up top. Now you're pulling the shoulders in, you're lengthening through the core, maybe you're getting a little bit more of the front hip now. So changing drivers, like, oh, you're just doing an anterior lunge, like reaching at your foot versus, oh, now I'm reaching overhead. Oh, now I'm rotating over my lunging leg. Like, well, you're just adding variety. No, I'm, I'm going after like more of my posterior glute, outer glute. I'm going more core, going after the psoas, like opening that up. So there's always like a rhyme and a reason to what we're doing. And I think that's what's so cool about it. Like we make, it just makes sense. We make sense of why we're doing stuff and we're doing stuff because it makes sense, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe bring some clarity here. We, we see every individual that we coach as a case study. There's no protocol that says, here's how to do a push-up. Well, you ask a kid to do a push-up, you want to tell them to keep their back straight, head straight, body in line, hands beneath their shoulders and do a push-up, that's great. But what about the other millions of ways that a kid could do a push-up? I think that's something that we are all our own case study as well. You know, we, we've all been a kid, and some of us are just bigger kids. I'm the same size I was as a kid. <laughs> but I know a lot more than <laughs> I did then. <laughs> Um, but we, we've all experimented. We've all observed our own motion. We've all jumped over stairs. We've all skinned a knee. We've rolled an ankle, thought our leg was completely broken and thought we're going to die and need to go to the hospital, right? It, but we get better and we get healthier and we get stronger and we start to become more aware of how our body's interacting with the space around us. Some may get driven into a fear of don't do this, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. Put some shoes on, put a jacket on. You're going to, like, you know, we've, we've got our parents that are there to protect us or our, our guardians that are there to help us out, but they may be layering on these things that prevent us from fully experiencing our physicality because now we're afraid of doing something that's going to hurt ourselves. And I think that stays with us until the day we die, until we realize we have a coach that goes, try it this way. And they're like, but I've been told never to do that. That will hurt me. And you ask him, why, why would this hurt you? You know, and you start to get into kind of the the, the finer weeds of all these things, uh, the, the deeper details of every single person having their own behavioral side to their training. They're not just here to look good and to feel good. They're actually here to overcome a fear that they had of hiking down or running downhill or jumping on a box. Or, you know, we've, we see so many people that in their 50s, 60s, 70s that are fearful of doing motions that their body can do, but they've been told that they're going to hurt themselves. So how do we kind of see see each individual that we coach. What are some questions that you might ask or get a better gauge, not just of how they're moving, but where they find purpose in their training, where they find like they can open their box of what they're capable of? Well, and like one question we all like to ask is just like, well, what do you, what do you like to do? And I think that's like a, a very good initial question to just kind of see like where their goals lie, what's their activity like, like what, why are they here and for what purpose? So understanding what what drives them? Like if so-and-so really loves hiking and just kind of understanding what their relationship is with hiking and how maybe that's been, maybe they had a past sport injury or maybe they were on their hike, they rolled an ankle one time way back and now they're kind of hesitant, but they still really love, they really love hiking. Now you have a kind of a driving force and you're, you're bridging the gap between what they love and what they're trying to do and how you can get them to that spot. So I think starting off with just, what do you enjoy doing? Like what, what do you do? What, what are you about? And kind of understanding that is a great first place to start. 
most people come to the gym to do something better outside the gym, you know, or they're, we see people who come in because they've been in pain and they don't want to be in pain. And you mentioned protocols before earlier and it sparks this like protocols are almost limitations because we've worked with people who say, you know, like I'm, I'm recovering from a shoulder injury. I can't do that. You know, my, my doc said, I can't, I can't do that. I can't lift weight there. And usually my first question is like, it's just a pull, you know, like rotator cuff tear, tuck the elbow in really tight. You can do banded, you know, internal and external rotation. And that, they're like, that's all you can do, but don't reach out and don't pull stuff. Like don't pull a weight, don't pull a Kaiser. So I get that. And then I just kind of look at him and I go, you drive here today? Yeah. Did you open your car door? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, how'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> did you, how did you grab that door handle? Like you, you reached and you pulled, right? Did you open the door to walk in here? Cause it's not a sensor, like it opens. And so, you know, talking about like, what do you do? Well, you do a lot in your day to day, but when you're told you can't do it certain ways you, or somehow in a, in a gym setting that all just goes out the window, there's strict protocols for a gym, but there's not strict protocols for life. Cause nobody at the, nobody at the physical therapy office or the doctor's office said, don't open your car door with that hand. But we don't think of that as a weight. We just think of it as functioning and going throughout our day or like getting up and down out of the car, all, all of that. So I totally forgot what your original question was, but... This is the, na this is the name of the game. <laughs> Tangents in the, the transverse plane. The nature of the beast. Yeah, Let's but... Let's get rotated. <laughs> no, seriously. Rotation, though, is when... Um, gosh, we're talking about things that, that people say that we do that are varietal, that are not safe. The transverse plane lunge is like the big one. When you get people who've never seen what we do and they come in here and you're like, hey, I want you to do a rotational lunge. Open, open that leg up at like 135 degrees. And they're like, what? Why would I do that? And, you know, I was like, well, how do you turn around at your house? Like when you're at your sink. How do you step out of your car? Yeah. Like how do you, ste how do you step out of car? <laughs> exactly. Nobody pivots. Hold on. Let me keep my feet together and just <laughs> quick shuffle. My seat actually rotates for me. <laughs> but like... You, we want legit case studies, right? We want, we want data. So here's a fun one. Girls are 80% more likely to tear their ACL than boys are. It, it's not just like, we're not, the, we're not the weaker species. Let's get that clear. Uh, but <laughs> hormonally. <laughs> hey, we're backing up on that one. I'm, like, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Like, See you guys. You are the, we are the <laughs> inferior. All right, I'll be back next time. That's See right. Ya. That's right. This one's for the ladies. Send it. Send it, K. But we get we go through more hormone fluctuations and that influences our tissue tension, tissue ability, especially for adolescents, girls. So I coached soccer for 10 plus years and I implemented rotational training and just that transverse plane lunge immediately into our warm up, just how they moved, how they ran, how they transitioned, like a Carioca rotational step to open up, doing quick feet and having to do what we would call like a pivot, like a drop step. Well, drop step is essentially a transverse plane lunge. We just, depending on your range of motion, we call it a step or we call it a lunge, right? Or how you weight shift. So in the 10 years that I coached soccer and in all of the years that I practiced 3D rotational training for those kids, I only had two ACL tears. And I'm talking club soccer and high school soccer. So I was coaching year round, dozens, probably hundreds of girls in that regard. And most ACL tears are non-contact. So we're talking, it's a mobility and stability issue, right? If we're saying it's a non-contact issue, it's not force. And the two girls that I had that had ACL tears, contact. So you can say there's, there's some great training practice right there on how rotational training can translate over. Does, rotational training doesn't, and you can train it with load or you can train it without load. 
if you can do something really, really well without load, if you start gradually adding load, don't you just get stronger at doing that? Well, and we can also consider that load isn't just a tool. You can add speed that adds momentum that yeah. gives your body the sense of load, or you can squeeze something mm-hmm. like we use in the, in the FCC classes. Mm-hmm. Um, it creates a tension. It creates force there, and you're, you're becoming more aware of how to decelerate or accelerate yeah. that force, right? Yeah. It's powerful. And when you say transverse plane lunge, just so everybody gets that clear, transverse plane lunge is a transverse plane lunge because we're taking our body, every single joint through the transverse plane, as much as it can or as little as it can or just whatever we specify that range of motion to be, meaning the ankle's rotating, your knee, yes, it's rotating a little bit relatively. We're not trying to force it into rotation, but we got to admit it does rotate. we got hips that rotate. We've got a lumbar spine, a thoracic spine, a cervical spine. we got shoulders that can rotate. And we got, what, the, so six different lunges, sit two in the sagittal plane, two in the frontal plane, two in the transverse plane, that target the 66 vital motions that our body's going to go through at some point in time in our sport or in life. We know the ankle has six motions. We know the knee has six motions, though we're taught it only flexes and extends. It also needs to decelerate the other two planes of motion. We got a hip that can move through six different motions. We got a lumbar spine. Yes, the lower back moves through six different motions, though it's a much smaller level, but it's got to be able to decelerate that and stay braced. But then we've got a thoracic spine that can go through six motions, a cervical spine that can go through six motions, and a shoulder that can go through six motions. There's other joints too, but we're talking about big functions and closest to our, our center of our body. We've got to be able to access those 66 motions, 11 joints times six 66 motions. So why, why, wouldn't we, why wouldn't we visit all these planes of motion? Why, when would we say, let's focus strictly on like a traditional lift, strength, more sagittal plane, dominant? When would we choose that over going for the degrees of freedom in the movement? If your sole goal is to just load up and just move as much weight as physically possible, yeah, the less variable you have, the more you're going to be able to to do in, in that motion, like a back squat, right? Like the less variable at the joints, the more strength or tension that I'll, I'll, that I'll probably have, or it's a safer position, right? There's less, there's less room for error at that point. She had safer in air quotes, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But that would probably be the one time or the, the more strategic time. I'm going to say the strategic time in which you're trying to do that. So goal when you're trying to, when you're trying to lift some heavy mass and also maybe gain Gain mass, would you say? Yep. Well, then it's interesting too, because if you go back to traditional lifting with like the knowledge that we have, like the trade-off is now different because we could go back to like traditional deads, traditional bench, traditional squat, and just do those three things. But now having the understanding of like the other movements, I feel like we would kind of, like even though it's not similar to the other movements in a certain regard, you could still kind of tie in the gains into that. So there's like a weird trade-off of like, it's not the most efficient way of going about doing something, but it is like a way of going about doing something. You're just missing some of the pieces. It's like, I'd be curious. This is like more of a self kind of a thing, I guess. Like if I went back to just doing like the lifts I used to do in high school, how would I feel? Same restorative work, still go through like a good warm up, hitting all the planes of motion, but then go back to like traditional stuff. Like what would that trade-off be like? And that's just like a rhetorical question or if it's like thought-provoking. But you, you, you said efficiency and then to like 
gave the you know the eyebrows you know like a, like an experience experiential versus about just the just the gain of strength right like now now how you see strength going back and doing those traditional lifts knowing what you know about those vital motions and knowing about the three planes of motion and, and dynamic loading strategies that bench press becomes a whole other experience because you've got a depth and a well of knowledge that goes into like this bench press is not just making my pecs big my tricep strong get my name up on that wall be a thick goose this man dance <laughs> dance muscles bro that's now how can this bench press facilitate my better throwing you know or or better blocking or catch myself when I trip when I'm trail running mm. right there's your your mind is in a different place and we talk about this all the time like it Really, what is your intention behind the motion? What are you trying to get out of it? Some people don't want to trail run better. That's fine. So you don't have to train that way. But we know that biomechanically, what you're asking your body to do, you you need to train that in that regard. You know, if you want to look good, like, if you go back to traditional list goods, you're going to just, like, you better get a triple XL in that careful, sweatshirt. Careful, Triple XL in careful. that sweatshirt. You're just going to get yoked. A lot of traps on this side, guys. A lot so, of traps. So much traps. <laughs> but the trade-off might be like you don't move as well. Right. You know, you're going to be really good at pushing one way but not going the other way. I think um, most people that we see, they want to move better in general. They want to move better. They don't necessarily want to look better. I mean, how often do we hear women say, I don't want to bulk up, but they want to look toned or they want to look athletic depending on what level like of athlete they want to look like. So they, they, their goal is not to just do a whole lot of strength. It's all the time too. Like people want to look like pro athletes. Like I want to look like a pro athlete, but those athletes don't spend necessarily four hours a day just doing strict gym workouts. They you get better at your sport by playing your sport. You know they spend. Would you say that you spent more time on the football field than in the weight room? Yes. Would you say you spent more time wrestling on the mats than in the weight room? Yeah. Yeah, and like I spent more time on the soccer field than I did in the weight room and I was a better soccer athlete, but you like, there's body types, right? For that. And it's not necessarily like we could have all lifted the exact same way, but our body types still would have looked entirely different because you wrestled and you played basketball and I played soccer. Like that was always kind of the, you could tell like, dude, CJ walked in his first day at gymnasio and I'm like, I'm a brand new coach. And I look, he walks in, they go, Oh, this guy's a wrestler. <laughs> like you just knew, <laughs> you just knew based on his body type and how he looked, like he wrestles, and that that was just like the physique that you were going for, but you know, you practice how you want to perform, so if you want to move better, we can move intentionally, multi-dimensionally, and you're going to end up moving better. I think that's an important statement, because it, yes, there's, you got to be, you got to be moving, you got to be focusing on your physiological adaptations too, outside of the sport that you're doing, if you want to become the best in that sport, you've got to put in the extra time too, but without a foundation of movement and understanding your entire sphere, like if you look at your body and you imagine all the ways it can move, if all you see is a deadlift and a squat and an overhead press and a clean and a Nordic curl and all these traditional sagittal plane type of lifts, you're gonna, yes, you'll be really, really good at those. But then as soon as you need to do a rotational step or somebody trips you, somebody pushes you over, you're not going to catch yourself in a Nordic curl or a deadlift. You're going to catch yourself in some kind of split stance, kneeling, sideline, posting a hand on the ground and experiencing that kind of stress that if you haven't been exposed to that, that movement or that transformational zone or at least had your joints 
moved with force in all three planes of motion, your chances of getting hurt are going to be much higher, or you're going to continue to brace, and it's going to be those dozens of repetitions hitting the ground or, or moving in a certain way that you're like, man, something's kinked in my back. And then you go and do your heavy lifts, and you don't do anything to negate or neutralize that effect or bring you back to this dynamic balance. You're just reinforcing that bracing, that rigidness, that strength, while at the same time you're making the gains of what the progressions are designed to help you adapt to, you're missing out on a key element, which is having access and availability, and then building capacity upon that availability. Yeah, there should be some more focus maybe in traditional lifts if you're trying to put on a lot of mass, but it shouldn't be taking up the majority of the time, right? We think we should be thinking about loading up submaximal loads in rotational movements, in lateral movements, in those oh shit transformational zones so that your body realizes how to find a homeostatic stability, mobility, or balance in that position where you're not scared and freaked out and your body's fighting it, going like, what, get me out of this. It goes, oh, I've been here before. And that way when you're on the field, well, yeah, you might still get hurt. You're probably still going to get hurt. You can't avoid injury. You can't prevent injury, but you can do your best to set yourself up for more success and availability so that going into that, you're not avoiding certain things. You're, you're unshackling yourself from the potential of what could be. Though you may be good at certain certain lines of motion, certain patterns, those other athletes that are that are high level, they're they're playing their sport more. They're having fun. They're playing. They're moving in all three planes of motion without really saying, "I'm going the transverse. I'm going the frontal." They're just experiencing those motions. And I think it's our job as coaches to invite those opportunities into a gym setting, because in sport they're going to happen no matter what. But as soon as you said, like you said, getting into the gym, it's all stiff and rigid. Don't do it that way. That's going to hurt you we immediately remove ourselves from what it's like to be out in the field, which is fearless. We even instilled that fear within them. And I think that's an important like thing to touch on too, is that it's not saying that like, this is like the solve all of like, you're not going to get hurt. But I can say like from personal experience, having shifted my training and my personal practice more towards the like movement flow kind of side, significantly less injuries. Like I, I think since I've started here, so about three years, I've had like one time where I was like, oh, like shit, my knees, my knees pretty jacked. And that was because I was trail running way too much and not foam rolling at all or stretching at all. So it was all on me. You were in a yeah, zone. You're, you're no spring chicken no more. Dude, I'm getting up there. <laughs> two five. This is crazy. <laughs> but no, because then I think back, I think back to like, like football days of like lifting heavy, even college days, where you're just trying to be like that, that swelled out bro in college. Or at least I was. Um, like back would hurt, knee would hurt. Like you go to do something, you're like, ah, no. Like you roll an ankle playing basketball. Now like I'll trail run, don't roll my ankles. Like I rarely fall unless I'm skateboarding. Bro, and you're wearing sandals while you're doing it. Or no shoes at all. That's the craziest part. Yeah, wearing sandals or no shoes, just running around. So I think like, that just speaks to like, it's not, it's not the solve all obviously, but like from personal experience, like what we do obviously works for me and most. I'm a much better all-around athlete now than I was in college. Although I was playing, I was playing a lot of beer pong in college. I was a really good beer pong player. That was the off-season sport. But uh, dude, my right hand overhead press. <laughs> <laughs> that elbow extension. Um, but I move so much better now, and like it's way easier for me to transition between trail running and playing soccer and golfing, which are all look super different, or surfing. You know, those are all entirely different 
facets of athleticism, but it's way, way easier. And I don't feel like I'm struggle busting it, transitioning in between each one. And now like golfing is just, I keep getting bigger. For listeners, I'm currently pregnant. So, uh, yeah, my husband keeps like, well, can you swing a club? I'm like, well, fucking, if John Daly can swing a club, I can swing a club. I just got to train for it. Like, <laughs> we'll just move stuff out of the way. But, uh, yeah, if you just keep doing it and keep, keep adding that in, it works. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that what we do works to make people better athletes or to move better. Well, and I think, too, like, and maybe you said it and I just missed it, but I feel like you could take a break now from, like, whatever your movement is. Like, I haven't surfed in a while. But when you get back out there, like you're back in it pretty quick versus maybe prior to this, it's like, ooh, this is going to take me, you know, a few more sessions to get back into it. Like, oh, I haven't kicked a soccer ball in a while. I'm going to be a little rusty. The rust is shaking off after like a few little kicks, a few little shots, and you're good to go just because like you've been so well versed in all those different moves. Also, you're a little smarter going into it. You don't just go and kick that ball as hard as possible. You become aware that like, okay, I probably need to do some dynamic warm up, swing my leg around a little bit get some smaller kicks in and then like, Ooh, it's feeling solid. Like it, it kicks into high gear and then you're back at it. Right. That's like, as, as we age, like it's, I call it the, like the old man warm up where you just get out there and you just hands on the hips and you just stretch out, stretch out the hips, stretch out the back. Like you just woke up. Yeah. You do a little, do a little leg lift. You're like, all right, let's go play. Let's sprint. And then like, everybody's like, how'd you pull a hammy? Oh, well, I was, you know, trying to 10 yard sprint didn't warm up. And Oh, I sit at a desk all day. When was it's the last like, time you sprinted? Uh, like a decade. Oh, there you go. That's why it's going to hurt you. <laughs> Got some cobwebs in there, but uh, you uh, touched on something. What did you say, coach? No, no, go ahead. Because uh, you touched on something about pain, like your own pain too. And, and we are young, we are resilient, and it, we do heal a bit faster. We can't rush the healing process, um, but we can set it up to heal better or more effectively um, and understand and communicate with our body in such a way that we don't go like, oh, I hurt myself. But like, yeah, I hurt myself. I'm I'm taking a I'm taking a week to recover, which doesn't mean laying on the couch doing nothing. Typically, it means figuring out something else to do with your body in the meantime until you get back at it. More primal in a sense of not not just getting permission to be lazy for a week, two weeks, six months, ten years, an entire pandemic. Yeah, you you got to make a call. Um, but it made me think of something. Uh, about pain, and, and we deal with a lot of people who are in pain, um, people that are that are aging, that could be 20s and in pain, they could be 70s and in pain, and some of them have really bad injuries and in pain, and some have no injury at all, but they're in severe pain, and um, let's, let's dive into that pain a little bit, because as coaches, I know where mindset, my mindset was before I, I was an MDMCer, and it was like, if somebody's in pain, well, we're just going to switch the activity, we're just going to change it and Hopefully they go see their chiropractor or physical therapist or doctor and get it figured out. It's out of my control. I can't help them with this, but I can still give them a workout. Now it's changed to such a point where anybody who walks in with any pain, it's movement related. I'm biased, man. Oh, you're, you're in pain while you're moving? We're going to fix it. And I'm not going to do the fixing. I'm going to do the communicating to help you figure out how to fix it yourself. I think that's our mindset here. What does your mind go when somebody walks in with and I'm being super broad here because it could be any kind of pain. It could be joint pain. It could be tissue pain. It could be mind pain. Where does your mind go when a client comes in with pain and says, train me? Man, everybody's a little bit different. It depends. Depends. Ah, fuck, it depends. I know. That damn phrase. Classic. It depends. But 
you know, we always ask, like, what are your goals? What are your goals? Like, you're in pain. What is the one thing you want to do that pain is limiting you from or that you'd like to do? It doesn't even have to be like it. Because most people just, like, push through it. But even for is we I think we take being pain-free completely for granted, completely. But when someone's in chronic pain, they're like, God, I just want to be able to walk up the stairs without pain or sit down. Like, there was at one point when I was working here, and it was my feet and it was my shoes, but my knee, I hurt so bad. I couldn't, dem- I couldn't do a lunge. I couldn't squat on that knee, and it was just like I'd get home at the end of the day after being on my feet, coaching six, seven sessions, and I would literally break down, like, it, it, just after months and almost probably, like, two years on and off of just chronic pain, you just cry. It hurts. It defeats you because there's so many things that you tell yourself you can't do or that you physically can't do because it hurts. So my question is like, what would you do that's pain-free? And something is literally simple as walking up the stairs or just sitting on the toilet without having that chronic knee pain. And then, you know, where do we go from there? Figure out the biomechanics of it. What's supposed to be working? What's not working? that's potentially causing that pain. You know, taking them through our 3D movement assessment is one of the biggest tools. Not even, you don't even have to do a 3D movement assessment as far as like the, the exact protocols for that. But taking them through any movement assessment that says this action causes pain, okay, but this action doesn't. Like that's the beauty of actually having a variety of lunges. Because if you say an anterior lunge pisses my knee off, but a lateral lunge, no pain transverse plane lunge, no pain. You're like, great. So what's going on in that exact transition zone that is pissing your knee off? We call them musculoskeletal disorders. MSDs. Musculoskeletal disorders. It's when there's no knee tear, when there's, you know, no slip disc, but you still have pain. What's causing it? And, you know, we've had people come in who've gone to physical therapy and they didn't get the results that they wanted and they're still in pain because they didn't treat it as a musculoskeletal disorder and they didn't treat it as on an individual basis as to you know what's working or what's not working they just have hey this is your generic shoulder pain this is what you're supposed to do they treated you as a knee or as a shoulder or as an ankle not as a human being yeah and we know it's not like that so we have to we have to do some investigative work i freaking love puzzles some people all the time like if something's not working the way that it's supposed to, I'm going to figure it out. There's like a missing piece of the puzzle and we're going to figure this out so that we can, you might not be completely pain-free, but you damn well bet I'm going to have you 10% better by the time you walk out of here. And for some people, 10% better is life-changing in that moment. But how do you, how do you make the call if there's all these studies on pain and what to do about it? How can you make a, a sound decision, a, a, I mean, you're a tracker and loves data and, and stats, but all the data says that pain, like, it's, it's subjective, right? Yeah, pain is not empirical. So we can't measure pain on a sliding scale, and it, it differs from individual to individual. My level of a 9 is going to be different than your level of a 9. So when you do a broad, like, case study, that's, it's really hard to, to compare and saying, like, how's it? but for each individual person... Again, ten percent better or taking somebody from a nine to a three is crazy for them. We talked earlier, you know, about chronic pain and how it just becomes like it's just always there. And how, what that does for not just your body but your spirit is is so sad to see. But you know, now somebody who started their chronic pain was at a nine 
it's or, you know, or their their acute pain started as a nine. Now it's chronic <coughs> pain. That's just their state of being. So they're like, that's just like my five. That's just I'm constantly like this. Acceptance of the pain, and then it becomes a part of their identity. Yeah, because they can't, or they they've tried to find answers, but they couldn't find answers. And so many people that come through, um, and I don't want to put down PT doctors or the authority figures who have licensing in the in the medical field. However, I will say that they're governed by protocols and having to do things a certain way where we get to treat each individual as their own protocol, their own case study, like we had mentioned earlier. And it becomes a, a deeper conversation about not necessarily the why they're in pain right off the bat. It's just like, what, what, when do you feel it? What does it feel like? And just open up this communication where it gives them a chance to express what's going on. And many times it starts to relieve itself just in that conversation because now they have somebody to hear them for that pain. That is not them. It's just something they're experiencing. And as, a, as coaches who are listening, we're able to now start to problem solve when in their life this may have started, right? Especially if it's chronic pain. Somebody who's experiencing chronic back pain, it's easy to say, I'm just getting older. But it's also easy enough to realize you may have been sitting for the past decade and not really doing anything to anti-sit. And then we get the opportunity to educate how sitting compresses a lot of your front hip tissue and spine tissue and over time becomes plastic that then prevents you from being elastic that then now you wake up out of bed with back pain every single morning without ever realizing how to mobilize your front hip that mobilizes your psoas that's attached at your spine causing your low back pain. Right? It's like we get to critically think with each individual's pain that a knee pain for somebody is different for somebody with this uh, similar space in their knee, but they experience it entirely differently. Somebody could have knee pain and go run. Somebody could be in knee pain and not want to walk. Yeah. Right? And it's opening that conversation as coaches and knowing that there's nothing really we can do to get them out of pain except for create a supportive environment for them to explore how to get out of it, how to unweave maybe what caused it initially. Many people are in pain that just aren't aware of what their, how their foot's turned when they're doing a lunge or how their eyes are like piercing forward at the ground and they're always bent over versus like, hey, bring your eyes up. They feel unbalanced for 10 seconds and they go, oh, my pain's gone. Oh, I never have looked up in a lunge. I've always looked down. It's like all these little things that we see as coaches come from no specific study except for the individuals that we've had the opportunity to work with. A lot of that hands-on experience and open conversation. What would you say to somebody who's, who's um, new to training or has been in training for a while that is working with people in pain? Any advice you could give them or, or insight? MDMC. Hit up the MDMC program. Uh, you just get so many tools for how to tweak up, tweak down to treat people. I think that's a, the other common misconception with fitness or being hurt is if it's just like, we'll stop doing that. You know, like squats hurt my knee, stop doing that. But what if we just tweak the feet and you just, if your right knee hurts, hey, just put your right foot like six inches forward. Try that squat again. Oh, no knee pain. Well, you know how stoked people are to say I can do a squat with weight and my knee doesn't bother me just because I moved my foot six inches forward or towing them out or towing them in. And that's valuable information that's not always, like we just don't think of that. That's not like a, it's an untraditional method, but gets incredible results. Well, we also hear like toes in squats is bad. Like, don't be pigeon footed. Yeah. Don't be duck footed. You have to be straight ahead. You have to be neutral. 
well, how are you going to find success in this individual's body? We might all be built of the same materials, but how we're placed and organized and are aware of those tissues, that's an entire, that's a whole other conversation. Well, and training women. We've talked, we've had this conversation, like biomechanically, women have wider set hips. They tend to be externally rotated through the femur more often. And that's just, or, and have an anterior pelvic tilt because they're biomechanically, it, like that's not anything that's wrong with them. That's just how they're set up. But traditional training says you can't have those things and then still train. You know, we talked mm. about doing a squat and how we say spine neutral, but chest up. For some women who have a crazy anterior tilt, they go do that and they, you get the anterior tilt combined with compression and it just, their lumbar spine is just pissed. And they're always like, I can't do squats. It hurts my back. Cause they're trying to arch through their thoracic spine and just compress everything, and, you know, cause they're trying, they think to them that's spine neutral, right? To stay that upright rigid, but Hey, just tilt forward 45 degrees for me. And all of a sudden you take them out of this lordosis. You take them out of that crazy low back arch and then mind blown. Oh my gosh. Right. That chest feels infinitely better. Chest forward doesn't mean you're flexing your spine yeah. if you're doing it from your hips, right? Correct. But you've got, that is where then, you know, those little cues like flex your core, flex your glutes or grip your, grip your toes can be important to set the foundation. I think the problem is that we end up relying too much on those cues as being perfect versus those cues are helping to create a position and an experience that is not painful. It's not moving against our body. We're moving as we're, we're embodying our emotion. We're embodying our training versus trying to embody a squat or embody a lunge. It's like, it's not about the squat. It's not about the lunge. It's about the person who's doing the squat or the person who's doing the lunges and then saying, yeah, I'm so much more aware of the space that I can move in around me now. I have options. I have accessibility. I have availability. And just saying that I came from uh, Viper Pro, those guys over there, the best ability is availability. Without availability, you're not going to be able to increase the capacity on multiple fronts. You're going to only have your 12 same lifts that you're enhancing the capacity of that at some point, boredom is a real thing. And you will start expressing yourself through different movements, but without some kind of organization or understanding on how to just be and move and give yourself permission, you're always going to be moving stiff and rigid because that's what you've been teaching yourself every single rep is to be stiff, to be strict, or you're on the complete other side, which is completely anti that. And now you've got all these other movement dysfunctions that pop up from lacking the strength. You might have all this movement ability. You know, we've seen people that are hypermobile and they can put themselves into positions that like, yeah, I can get into this pretty easily, but they're not aware of how they're doing it. Their body just allows it. And they might need to be focusing more on some traditional type strength stuff so that they can balance themselves out based on their body type. What would you say, Goose, about uh, advice for coaches working with people in pain, discomfort, especially when they're having that movement pain while they're, or that pain while they're moving? Um, I mean, same thing that Kalina was saying, MDMC. But like the reason I'm saying that is work within what you know, because if you're just if you're using the tools that you know, obviously I'm on the bias side of MDMC is going to give you more tools, more knowledge for you to use. But if you work within what you know, you're more likely to be successful. Keep it simple. Listen to your clients because if you're listening to what their needs, what they're experiencing, then you're better able to tailor it to that person, which I think is a big point. All the case studies, all, you know, the data, all the stuff, all, you know, the research, it's awesome. 
it gives a really good outlook on like the general idea and maybe that's going to help you be super successful but it's at the end of the day it's going to boil down to the individual so you need like you have to listen to your client you need to listen to the individual and understand what's going on with them and how you can help them be successful but again work within what you know don't see or don't try you saw someone else doing something funky oh i'm gonna i'm gonna try that with my client like no no no. understand what you're doing first and then apply but understand it first Expand upon, expand upon that, but keep expanding your box of knowledge because we have so many, there are so many certifications out there and you might take one or two and then we stop. And you think that everybody just fits within that box of knowledge and that that's the only way to treat pain or that's the only way to train. But again, every client is going to be different. And if you get stuck, at least you have other tools and resources to pull from. That's kind of the magic behind being a great trainer is having all of these options to tweak, to modify, to pull from different strategies, whether you're training for hypertrophy and looks or whether you're training for sport, you know, have these tools available. Even just to think a little bit differently will change how you view it. You don't have to take everything that you learn in every course and just strictly apply it. If you don't agree with something, you don't agree with something. You have your, your reasons for that. But again, being able to think outside of just your bubble and just your box as to what works and doesn't work um, is such a big help. You talked about hypermobility. We had a girl come in, actually one of my former soccer players, who chronic like upper thoracic spine pain between the shoulder blade and went to PT. And they, you know, like we said, listen to your clients. She didn't feel like they listened to her. Like she was doing these exercises. She said these hurt, and they were just like, we'll just keep doing them. And she came in and, you know, we assessed her and we're looking at stuff. And like anytime she was going into like a, a plank or push-up position, like she'd just get that pinching in the shoulder blades. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's like double jointed through her elbows and there's no tension in her system. It's like, well, no wonder her freaking shoulders are killing her because there's no tension anywhere in the musculature. It's all through the joints. But thinking outside of that box of it's only strength-based or it's only only do this exercise. I mean, we put her in different positions to see what felt good, right? When she said that hurts. Okay, we're going to switch this and find a different position. Might trigger the same muscles and go, oh my gosh, you're hypermobile. She didn't even think that was part of the problem, right? We don't ask, that's not on our assessment. Are you hypermobile, by the way? But to see that in like that was the only way I would have known or seen that was to actually see her in a plank position before you could see that like double jointed at her elbows. You know, hmm. you just see it and you're like, oh, it's going to snap. But just being able to think outside the box and going immediately going, oh my gosh, it's not a mobility issue right now. Now it's a stability issue. Hmm. I can't wait for our next conversation. <laughs> Always more fun to be had. Hope you guys enjoyed this uh, conversation as much as I did. Oh, Goose, yeah. Thank you, Kalina. Thank you so much for continue to push the envelope on science of movement and uh, treating every single one of your clients like a case study. Every single person's an individual. Every single person has their own abilities and capacities, and it's our job to help guide that to its highest potential, their highest potential as well. If I could leave you with one statement, world, to leave no rock unturned and to prepare for all scenarios, you're a warrior. 
Hey y'all, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed to the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. Relaunches in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor, take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag Gymnazo Podcast. That's hashtag Gymnazo Podcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach or in your business and to reach more people, please go check out gymnazoedu.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it, and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnazoedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.